So we thought we would do for this event um, a mixed grouping from uh, the village of Merso, because it's my personal favourite of the white wine villages. I don't mean to say it necessarily has the all the grand wines, because of course, Peter Nuarache, most people would put at the top of that tree. And I'm becoming increasingly fond of Chassin Maraché because of uh, the younger group of winemakers there. And we're going to have an evening, I think it's the 12th of April, when we look at those. Uh, but Mercer works for me so well on uh, the village level as a crew level. Uh, there are no Grand Crews, of course. And I think it's because Mercer wasn't greedy that you get real value out of the Premier Crews. And equally, um, the village wines are, to my way of thinking, clearly a step up from uh, most of the other white wine villages. And it's partly because, um, unlike Pununi in particular, the water table is that much uh, further away from the service, uh, surface. So it's possible to have uh, nice deep cellars, which are really great for aging the wine. So there's been a much longer tradition in Merceau than Pununi or even Chassain of aging the wines for a second winter in wood before you bottle them. So the format uh, today is uh, four whites from 2017 and 2014 together, two of each, uh, three, uh, two of villages and two of Premier Crews. Then we have um, four wines from 2012, three Premier Crews plus an absolutely top village site, uh, and then four Premier Crews from 2002. So we, we get to get, um, we get to see a very nice overview from good vintages of what Massa has been up to over the last 20 years. And then because you need a little bit of red wine before you go home in the evening, uh, we have got uh, three wines from the neighbouring or near neighbouring villages of Volnay and Pomar. And um, Michael has convinced himself that Marcinet is uh, also uh, near enough to Merceau. So we're having one from the amazing Sylvain Patai. So uh, you've got those four um, to finish off with. And I hope to be able to stay with you just long enough to uh, make a couple of comments about them. Uh, I'll certainly stay with you otherwise through the first two sets of four wines and to introduce the 2002s and, uh, and mention the Reds. Right, so uh, Merceau, ancient village, it's got so many good growers. I reckon nowadays that I am visiting between 40 and 50 different producers a year in Merceau, and I can think of another 10, 10 names that uh, probably ought to be on my visiting list, but you can't do everything. Um, and that's amazing because at the time that I started out in 1981, um, La Fon was sort of known about but wasn't really being shipped very much. Costury was virtually unheard of. Uh, Rouleau was known about. Um, uh, the Jobars were known about. But I mean, really, you would have been saying maximum six names of interest. Uh, and now it's spread so much wider. Um, so of the Grand Classics, we've, we've got... Um, uh, Lafon in several renditions, and we've got uh, one from, from Rouleau. Apart from that, there are people whose names were not so much on the radar back then, even though they or their parents, grandparents were producing wine from quite some while earlier. So, um, do you have anything in your glasses yet? I can't see easily. Yeah, you have two or four wines. <laughs> We have four whites, the first four. Okay. Right. Um, well, if you have a little taste of the first two, so uh, slightly unfair if you are trying to judge sort of uh, between the two of them, insofar as you have a good sound um, of the road 
uh, village wine in Grand Charente, and you have the grandest of the premier crews, Perrier, um, from two people who are small-scale cults, but mostly underneath the um, the real sort of investor speculator radar. So wines are are, are not cheap, cheap, but at the same time, uh, you can probably still find them at, at a price that doesn't hurt too much. So Pierre Boisson, Les Grands Charons. Grand Charon is um, a vineyard which can be really excellent or it can be rather ordinary to how high up the slope you are because it starts coming out of the uh, sort of the west side of the village and the lowest parts of the rows in Grand Charon are almost flat. Um, so, for example, very good producer, their sort of entry-level drinking Merceau is their growing because their holding is more on the slightly lower land. But as you go up towards the top, um, you get next to Tesson, which is a lot more favorite, famous, and Rougeau, which would be more famous if it had more good growers in it. Um, and you begin to make something very special. So, for example, the Côte de Grand Charon from the Chateau de, uh, de Merceau is, is really an exceptional wine. Um, I don't know where the Boissons have their holding. This used to be known as the main Boisson Vado, and as you see on the score sheet, that wine number three, Merceau Chevalier, is Boisson Vado. But the father of the current generation, Bernard Boisson, married to a Vado, um, retired, I think, after the 2016 vintage. And since then, the wines are either under his son Pierre's name or daughter Anne. Uh, they, they tend to look after slightly different vineyards in the grouping of everything that's done. Uh, the domain. It's not a big domain. It's uh, eight, eight and a half hectares in absolute total. Various Mersos, quite a bit of Bourgogne, OCDRS, uh, a couple of red wines. Um, 2017, as we know, is one of the good uh, vintages for white burgundy, and one which I think is actually becoming very decent to drink now. It's not one that you absolutely have to keep for the longest time, but it should age well. Now it's six years, it's, it's beginning to show its paces. Um, it was a, a year which favoured the whites more than the reds, because it was a, a, a standard full crop in white, and it was a particularly big crop. Uh, in, um, but I like it very much. What it's proving to be is slightly richer and fuller bodied than we perhaps thought, with this good acidity as well. So the boissons are very traditional. It's all barrel-aged for up, up to 18 months. Uh, this yeah. new oak. They do nothing sort of out of the ordinary, if you like, but, the, but, it, but it's a traditional sort of winemaking. They aren't particularly people who like to talk about the techniques. When I went to see Bernard Boisson, he was fascinating about the history, about the family, about the terroirs, but he didn't really want to get into the detail of, of what I sometimes call the techno babble, uh, the discussion of techniques. But they're traditionalists and probably only first came on the scene about 10 years ago um, when people, uh, they got picked up by UK and Porter and the first um, mentions with wine writers um, and they're extremely well thought of. Almost all their wines are at village level or generic level rather than uh, Premier Cru. So who's going to be the spokesman for how the 2017 Grand Charles is tasting? Uh, I'm going to get myself in slight trouble here because under two, the the, the Perrier tastes quite evolved for me. 
And I was asking if it was fine because it really does. I mean, I'm not, I don't, I'm not sure if it's the, it's the winemaking and that's the style of it. But if you taste the two together, I, I find that the seven, that the area is quite evolved for me on the nose and on the palate. As much as I hate to say, I agree. Uh, yeah, well, we, we may be having uh, a mild case of Premox. Yeah. Premox has not gone away completely, but it tends to be milder than it used to be. And I also think that uh, the wines grow out of it more often than not. But it's typically around about five or six years where you're most likely to have it. I had um, uh, two bottles, uh, the original and somebody opened a spare of a 2016 Corson Chalamet ago. And um, yeah, and that was exactly the same thing. Um, when when the first one was open, um, the, the guy opening it checked it and said, good, there's, that's no problem, it's fine. But even 15 minutes later, it was showing it. And Sebastian said that the bottles were fine when he opened them, so it's it's arrived quite quickly. But I suspect, unfortunately, that you have got a little bit of a case of the, the pox, the Premox, because there's no reason. The orange man wines are sometimes a little bit fuller in colour, um, but you know it shouldn't be tired at this stage in its life. Um, so that's a disappointment. It's a, it's a domain I believe in. Um, Orange Germain, um, uh set up in Merceau in 1973. Uh, his wife is of the Pio family in chassain Morache, so they have various Chassains as well as their Merceaux. Um, um has taken over and been in charge for quite a while. And he's married to a Miss Jobar. Uh, so probably some vines from that side of the family too. And now they're working with them. Um, so, uh, it's all organic, biodynamic, but um, that bottle evidently has not come through as well as it should. But how's the, uh, is the, uh, the Boisson 2017, is that showing well? Yeah, very well. I mean, I really liked it. I like it on the nose and I like it on the palate. It's a lovely wine. I mean, it's not overly, not overly complex, but very, very happy to drink this. Uh, can I ask you, Jasper, can I ask a question? What's the difference in philosophy to the winemaking of the two? If you had a differentiator between the two? You know, I don't think there is a massive um, uh, difference. They're both up to 18 months in barrel. Um, neither uses a lot of new wood. Um, they both would consider themselves traditionalists. Um, I don't know when the Boissons um, choose to because picking dates can make a difference. The Germans tend to be right in the middle, so there's nothing specific to to, to say there. Um, you know, I would not consider them dissimilar. Certainly on the palette, we can see the difference. That's probably the pre mocks, but I think we have to label the Germain today as, as, as being a disappointing bottle, so um, I'm sorry about that. Um, but I don't think you should. I don't think you should necessarily um, take a dim view of the domain uh, because one bottle has failed us. And do we have the orange map? Well, we got a 2012 and a 2002, so we've got that domain in in all three brands. So um, we'll see how the other two work later on. Now, uh, alongside that, you have got two 2014s. So again, we have a village wine from Boisson Vado, so it's still got the parents' name. 
and it's Chevalier, which I really like. So if you walked up the hill from Grand Charon, got to the top of um, the vineyard, you would be in the left-hand part of the vineyard, you would have Tesson above you. The right-hand part of the vineyard, you would have uh, Rougeau above you. And if you then walked a few more paces to your north, you come to Chevalier. Um, really nice um, vineyard with uh, quite a light, friable soil, um, which um, uh, erodes quite easily um, on, on a decent slope because we're higher up here. And everybody I know who makes Chevalier, I think probably Fichet is the person I know best in this vineyard, um, makes a jug of wine out of it. So 2014, as we've established in the past, uh, really, really nice white burgundy vintage, which for a while I've thought has been quite closed down and, if anything, seeming to get younger and younger. Uh, now, just recently, I've begun to see a little bit of evolution. Still young wine, eight years old, means nine years. Uh, but they're just beginning to open out once again. And alongside that, we have the Lafont Masso Boucher. So classically, Masso just had Perrier, um, Charme, Genevrier, and Goutte d'Or and the Premier Cruz. And then from 2011 vintage, he picked up um, Porizo um, and Boucher as well. And, and this Boucher, prior to 2011, was the holding made by... Um, uh, Le Fleuve. Sorry, not Le Fleuve. What am I saying? Hold uh, made by uh, Jean-Marc Rouleau. Yeah. Yeah, yeah both uh, Jasper, both have to step in, step in quality. I think it's also to do with more bottle age. They've just got a bit more weight, both of them. Yes. And they're both, they're both showing really well. Although I have to say that I just got a slight preference for the uh, the Boisson battle. Is that how you right. say it? So, yeah, Boisson Vado. So, play, play 2 1 2 for Boisson Vado. That's exciting. Um, I believe they have a good importer um, in uh, in Hong Kong, um, Ginsberg and Chan. And uh, would like you, you may not still be able to find this, but you should be able to continue to find them. As a, as a, okay, price. No, yeah, I think that was really, really just thing on the nose. I like the early ones. Crush rocks, very precise and linear. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Pierre Boisson, I, I um, uh, understand, was at the wine school with Raphael Costuri. So um, whether or not they have uh, sort of discuss techniques together, I don't know, but um, I've never had a disappointing from them. Of course, they don't have the famous uh, Premier Cruise on the whole, um, but everybody who's come to know them, did you know them before, or is it new to you? New to me. Hey, that's great. Well, at the Scully Show, I think we all whispered here, we got a heavy fine cellar. So we're going to have to find some. What I'm going to do is I, I should, I should have taken a snapshot of world prices before the session started, and another one at the end of the session, and, and see what's happened. Um, it's a pretty small domain, so never going to be huge volumes around. Um, but good to know. And the Lafon, the Lafon Boucher, how's that showing? Very nice, very very nice. I like 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a good chair. What about the good chair? Yeah, we should, I like that, but the other one more. Okay, the subtlety about the Boucher vineyard is that um, it's one where you um, need to pick very early. It's it's often the first, it was for Jean-Marc, um, and it is now with Lafont, uh, because it gets uh, too soft and you get a few more exotic aromatics if you leave it. So, um, so that's definitely... Um, and I think everybody who makes it now probably understands that. Yeah. Right, so um, points for Boisson in both vintages and also points for Lafont in their one wine. And again, we're going to see Lafont in all three brackets, so we'll be able to see how things have changed. Um, I'm hoping to do with Dominic Lafont and the new generation there, Dominic having retired. Uh, just over a year ago, I'm hoping to do a, um, a sort of retrospective vertical of every vintage that Dominique made at the domain with the family um, in the next month or two. It should be really exciting. I shall report on that. Okay, so does it? Are you now getting the next bracket of four coming out? Yeah, we've just gotten the rouleau as well as the Lafond and every as well. Okay, since they're all 412, uh, you might as well taste them one, two, three, four. So one, one and two are um, the Rouleau, um, Clou du Rouleau Tesson, Montplaisir. So it, it's close into the vineyards we've already been having. Um, and it changed its name. I think 2011 was either the... It used to be called Les Tesson, Clou de Montplaisir. But I pointed out to Jean-Marc that the um, legend that's on above the vineyard on a on a uh, little stone archway says um, Claude du Haut Tesson, mon plaisir, so from 11 or 12 uh, to that name. So then what do we have alongside that? We have La Fonge Genevrière, um, his favourite, my favourite, uh, probably of his premier cruise. Well, maybe he likes Perrier more, but I love the elegance of the Genevrier. Um, recently, I had one in London a month or so ago, both the Genevrier 11 and the Charme 11. And the Genevrier was way more exciting. The Charme was just a little bit um, not 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 quite feeling it so, uh, the right moment to drink it. It was just a little bit clumsy. Uh, nothing wrong with it, but it didn't quite show. But the Genevrier 11 was an absolutely beautiful bottle. And I'm hoping the 12 will be. Very small crop because of both hail and bad flowering. Then after that, you can um, look at um, Orange Germain's Perrier alongside Vincent Dancer's Perrier. And so Vincent Dancer recently seems to have leapt up from being one of the good producers to being one of the uh, cult producers with much higher pricing than we would ideally like. Um, so there, there are the 12s um, to play with, taste through them, one, two, three, four. Certainly in the marketplace, um, the Tesson from Rouleau is going to be up there at sort of fully fledged Premier Crew pricing. Um, I'm not sure if if that or Dancer would be the most expensive wine if they came up. Um, probably Germain would be the least expensive before on the secondary market. So 12, uh, 2012 is now 10 to 11 years old. 
should be getting him to an excellent place. I, it was a small crop, and I don't actually see them all that often, so it will be very, very interesting to know how they're showing, um, whether they're beginning to reach full maturity or whether they still seem quite young and crisp and energetic. Um, it showed very well when we did the 10-year-old tasting here in Bouillon um, in June of last year, and the 12s were looking in a very good place. The Premier Cruise and upwards, still young. The Village Wines, pretty much fully ready. So I am going to place a bet as to I put them in the order I think I would probably enjoy them, and I put them in the order I think they're probably going to show for the team today. So uh, um, when you're ready, um, Michael or somebody would like to speak at least about the um, uh, the rouleau and then move on from there. Jasper, I have a quick question before you move on to the second flight. Can you yeah. just talk a bit about the difference between 14 and 17? Because there's a clear, yeah, the vintage-wise, because there's definitely a clear difference between the two, and there's three years, obviously, of bottle age. But yes. In reality, that's not a humongous amount. No. I don't know how they're showing today, but um, 14 was a very fresh, tight, tense vintage. Uh, I mean, the grapes were only just ripe. Some of the reds weren't fully ripe. The whites did ripen, but they kept quite high acidity. And they remained, for me, they have remained um, quite fresh and quite backward. Now, was your comment because you think they have evolved by more than three years between the two? Yeah, okay. Um, well, that's a surprise. Yes. Yeah. I did uh, start... Uh, with the that I thought they were now beginning to come round. Um, yeah. Don't know um, uh, how long they were, um, whether they've been kicking around in the marketplace or whether um, whether they've been sort of in your cellars since uh, almost the start. But um, I would have expected the 14s to be showing, if anything, the younger of the pairings, even though they're three years older. So interesting that that's not the case. Okay, are, are you ready for a first comment on the second flight? Yeah. So sadly, the Alfonso uh, Ginevra is a bit corked. I know. But, but the Rulo is showing wonderful. Yeah. Um, the Orange German 12 is so meaningfully fresher than the 17th. Oh, that's encouraging. Uh, yeah. Uh, and the Vincent Dancer 12 is um, as it should be. Right. So you're, you're, uh, what I'm reading out of that, whether that's correct or not, is Rouleau first, Germain second, Dancer third. You, Michael? Uh, no, 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 not yet. Not, oh, yeah, not, we're at still not at that point. Oh, it's still tasty, so you haven't got that far. All right, yeah, yeah. I beg your pardon. We've just been forward some of them. Voting has not closed. I, right, I, okay, I, okay, I, right. The ballot is, uh, is still... I find, I find One thing I would say is, of course, yeah. 2012 is the last vintage from Lafont when he put the wines under cork. After that, he's moved to Diam from 2013. Um, reason for doing it was more to do with oxidation, but but just general unreliability, unreliability of course. 
Well, we'll have to find a, an excuse to open a bottle of Ginevra Air 12 when I'm over next month because um, that, that's disappointing. But, you know, cork bottles happen. We're aware of that. They do. Um, I think the for me, it's the dancer first. Actually, maybe a slightly different honor Germain and then the Rouleau. But the, the Rouleau is yeah, but, uh, very sharp, very focused, maybe needs even more time. I quite like the Rouleau. That wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, focus being focused and and fresh and sharp are very much the Rulo style. It's what he wants to make. Um, I hear that uh, Tina Turner voted for dancer first. Such a fine dancer. No. Oh, Jasper. I'm just going. To, uh, I'm still trying to get over the joke. Um, <laughs> I, I have to say that my favourite is the dancer as well, uh, not the Tina Turner version, but the um, but the Vincent version. Yeah, uh, that's my. Favorite. And I, I know a slight preference to Rulo over the Henri uh, uh, Germain. Oh, yeah. both, they're both really nice. It would be interesting to see what Lafon was like in that in that company. But it's an interesting, you know, the, the twelves. I think they're in a good space uh, place to eat, uh, drink. Sorry, no. Yeah, eat the cork and drink the wine. I, I would expect anyway, so, and you know, it is yeah. a vintage which I like more than it's. It's one of those which, because it wasn't the grand vintage. Uh, it's not a bad vintage, but it just gets forgotten about. It just doesn't really get, you know, it doesn't come up in common. Um, but I've always thought of it as a very good vintage for white. Um, and um, I will have to have a little look. I think I have a horrible feeling that um, I remember there was one vintage, and I think it was 12, when Dominique said, look, we've made so little wine. Uh, I'm not going to let you have any. Uh, he normally would give me a... Um, a little bit of an allocation. So I'm just going to check in my cellar and see see if I've got, but I have a horrible feeling that I don't have any uh, of that vintage. Uh, can, can, I, uh, yeah. can I ask a question? And I don't want to put foot in it, but in terms of these wines, um, I, I love the nose. I love the palate. Yeah. They, don't have, they don't have weight. I expected more weight. Is that a question of age or is this a question of their mercers? Uh, no, I think I think that's uh, I, you know I think I, I I think that is the style of the vintage. Um, it, yeah, it, it, what it's got is purity. Uh, I find, um, but not, not so much um, uh, power and weight. No, uh, but I, 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 there there is a freshness and also an honesty about these wines, which is lovely. Mm. And you get that, uh, but you're right. I mean, for me, I'm not getting that weight or that power, and and that's a good thing. Yes, we're we're also talking about um, producers who have moved away from the old style, um, consciously moved away from the old style uh, Merceau. When you're looking for round weight, body, and the rest of it, so Rouleau in particular, I mean, chiselled is the word. Dancers in that direction to Lafont definitely. Um, in the sort of second half of his winemaking career. Henri Germain, um, so, uh, sort of a little bit in between the two, but definitely wanting it to be fresh uh, as, uh, as, as everybody. Um, and also less so, reduction as well, isn't there? There's what? 
there's less reduction in the in the winemaking. Um, at that point, in fact, 2012 for Rouleau was a vintage which went through a very, very reductive um, phase. Uh, he said it caught him out because it only really happened in the second winter. It was about that time that he moved from doing a second winter in barrel and started doing it in tank, but keeping the wine on the lees. And if you keep your wine on the lees for extra time, but it's in tank, then there is no oxygen exchange. And that's where you get the reductive winemaking. Um, now, I was talking, that was my comment on all the wines rather than Rulo's wine. I was talking yeah. about, in terms of the all the Mercos that we had so far, I, I, I don't know, maybe I came here with a, a view that there will be more Expecting reduction. to have more reduction. No, I yeah. think 17 and 14, people are beginning to move away from it. Um, what's quite interesting is normally when you get a technique, in inverted commas, that arrives in Burgundy, people start to... Th- um, take it too far, and then the market revolts against it. But in the case of reduction, whether it's Rudo or Pierre-Yves Colin Moray or indeed Costuri, I think the growers themselves decided far before the market turned against it, uh, and they began to back off. But 2012, I would have expected to have been very much in the middle of it. But the wines do, with extra time, they do start to lose that reductive character. It doesn't stay with them forever in their lives. So maybe the fact that it's 10 years old now has, has sorted that. Can I, it's a, are you seeing for Mercer, or are you seeing a, a, almost a change going back to more chiseled, more purity, more minerality, if you, want to, if you want to call it that way, rather than having more fat, more power? So lying, lying the grapes and the soil to speak more for itself? Yes, but that's been the trend that's been in place since... Um, for about 15 years now and if anything you're going to start pe- seeing people going back the other way <laughs> uh, because everybody it's in this fresher style um but um yes and some people think that both um, Rulo and Arno Ant uh, have gone too far and they pick too early and they make the wines too fresh uh I yeah. don't do that. I find both those producers I love their wines I think they age really well um but I do often hear particularly from other um, in Merso, that um, you know they, they they think it's been exaggerated. Um, in Burgundy, it's never the case that everybody heads in the same direction at the same time. Uh, so you've always got um, point and counterpoint. And if one person isn't quite to your taste, then you can find somebody else. Um, but what? Can, can, I, can I ask a question? The, yeah. Can I, can I ask a question? Which is, and I mean, when you're looking at this stuff and you're talking about a pendulum. They're going for one side and they're swinging to the other side. So who's coming uh, out of the, the, the producers you, you're tasting? Who's coming out with a different voice, a different expression for Merceau? Well, for Merceau, uh, the person, I mean, the sort of people I have in mind would be somebody like Lemmy Kayar and Chassin Morachet. But perhaps um, Romeric uh, Chavichouet, Domaine Chavichouet, uh, he certainly doesn't want to be um, too much in the... Uh, in, in the very sort of ultra fresh modern camp, um, you get plenty of weight in Xavier Mono's wines. Um, Chaubert's always had good weight in the wines, but nonetheless, Antoine Chaubert is making uh, a fresher style of wine than uh, his father Francois used to. Um, let me see if uh, if any other names come to me um, during the during the tasting, um, then I will. Uh, uh, add, add those in to uh, 
um, to the list of people who are making rather more full-bodied uh, Mercedes. But it's a bit difficult now compared to what would have happened, let's say, in the 80s, insofar as that if you let your leave your grapes to hang on the vine until they're golden, um, which would have been the case. Nowadays, they're picked more of a, a greeny gold or um, color. But if you wait till they're fully golden, they're going to get way too high in alcohol, in sugar levels and therefore alcohol. So because of, of global warming, I think you do have to pick them uh, at a slightly less ripe um, phenolic stage, perhaps. Um, Jacques Prière in Marceau is a domain that likes to pick a little bit later, and so you'll probably tend to get fuller-bodied wines there. Um, and I'm sure I'll think of some more before we're finished. Yeah, a bit of history. That's what I mean. But, uh, with global warming, I'm picking earlier and stuff, less phenolic and things, but uh, it's a big issue. Well, so, um, phenolic's a funny word because I think people use it in different senses. Um, and it's often used pejoratively, meaning you've got something that's a little bit too sort of green and leafy coming into the flavors. Um, and there are some people who don't like that. There's a school of thought now in white burgundy making, which wants the wines to taste really pure and clean from the start. I'm not completely convinced by that because I know how great white burgundy can be if you leave it for a long time. And Michael, certainly, possibly some others of you were at uh, the Tour d'Argent in 2018. And one of the wines we picked off the list was the Le Fleuve Village Pinot Noir 1979 at 100 euros a bottle uh, on a Michelin star wine list at, um, with a wine at nearly 40 years of age. And it was an absolute stunner. But it might well have been a little bit ugly um, first up. Um, and nowadays, people feel that they want to make wines which are attractive to drink first up, so they are less phenolic. But one of the characteristics of the phenols is that is also where the preservative characters of the wine lie. So that's why the whites are aging more quickly, being ready earlier, which for many people is a good thing, and aging more quickly, which for me, at least, is a bad thing. Um, and I suspect for you as well. Um, so, yeah. Still plenty more discussion to go ahead with how white uh, burgundies are made. Um, any further comments you'd like to send my way about the quartet of 2012s uh, or the trio, as one was, um, I didn't make it. Is that a vintage that you will now look out for more or you won't look out for more? I have to say, Jeff, having tasted it, the twelves I've got, I'm going to start bringing them out. Yeah, because I think I think especially in the, um, the village of Premier Level, I'm sorry, Premier Level, I'm going to start bringing them out because I kept them. I think this is I'm going to actually bring them out because I think they're going to be. I'm not sure they're going to improve overly much. No, and I think, I think that's probably that. fair. I think that's fair. I think there'd be a you know, good place to start looking at them. Yeah. And I just checked. I didn't. Uh, I, I actually have very few white burgundy 2012s, partly because uh, I didn't get uh, any from that fall. Uh, unfortunately, it was 12 and not 14. I haven't started any of my uh, 14s yet. Um, so I'm I'm uh, a little bit shorter than I'd like to be of um, of the 2012 uh, white vintage. So. Um, where should we go from there? Let's, uh... Would you like a little bit more time then with um, 
uh, with that flight, or are you ready to move to the next flight? Right. Yeah. Okay. So, 2002. I'm expecting quite a lot of variability by now. It was a definite Premox um, style vintage, um, and uh, I'm hoping that they have all come through. Oh dear, my holding of 2012 white burgundies is uh, stressingly slim. Right. Um, so the 2002s we have got lined up um, are Moray Blanc. That means it's Pierre Moray, but his negociant side. Um, and not called Blanc because they're all in white wines, but Moray Blanc because his wife's name, she, her family name was Blanc. So they use that for their um, negociant business. And he obviously has Perrier himself, but the Genevrier was um, purchased grapes or juice. Alongside uh, La Force Massa Genevrier 02, so we're hoping for that that's in better shape than the Corpse 12. Compare the Genevrier with the Perrier in 02. And um, we really like the Genevrier. I think one of my, my last trip in Hong Kong before COVID lockdowns, I think we finished on the last day with the La Fond Merceau, um, um tasting, featuring lots of Genevrier. Um, and then Henri Germain continues to uh, uh, be part of the team. Um, so we'll get those poor brown and I'll leave you a minute or two to enjoy. 2002, um, as a red and a white wine vintage at the time, without thinking it was truly great in either, it was just good. It was mixed, not bad, but mixed uh through the um through the summer until early september it was definitely hanging by a thread whether it was going to be a good year or not and then fortunately the wind patterns changed there was less rainfall in september a cool north wind which uh, dried the vineyards out um, and finished the ripening but without giving generous sugar levels um completed the growing season and um, I was pretty comfortable with the vintage in both colours. It was quite a big crop in white, but nicely ripened. And in red, it was a normal size crop and only just ripe, but very pretty wines, which I think are in a good place now. Um, the whites should be either at their best now or some of them may, may be looking a little bit tired. So um, they weren't opened a lot in advance. For this tasting, I suggested to Sebastian just to open them up. Um, just before whatever time he needed to have them ready um, before the tasting started. Of this four, the marketplace is going to put the uh, La Forme Perrier in the first position. Uh, the others reasonably, probably reasonably similar, maybe Massage and area from La Forme, just about second. Um, but you're not really going to see wines of this age much around in the market, I wouldn't have thought. We've actually done well to get three different vintages of uh, Orange Amand's Perrier because it's a very small holding for him. He only has 0.16 of a hectare. So that's just under four ouvres. So, um, you know, he might make um, two, three, four barrels a year from a small crop through to a very generous one. La has got nearly a hectare of um, Perrier, 0.91, and half a hectare, 0.55, of the Genevrier. And Moray Blanc, of course, we don't know because it was um, purchased grapes, and I don't know who, who he would have got, got them from. 
So of course, at this time, nobody's using DM. Um, they haven't yet started the move towards the much more chiseled style of winemaking. Uh, Jasper, sadly, the uh, Marie Blanc uh, Merceau Genevieve 2 is um, more than advanced. It's totally oxidized. Oh, well. Uh, the Lafon Genevieve 2 is wonderful. Great. Wonderful. I have some of his uh, O2s. I occasionally looked recently at the Clé de la Bar, and that's beginning to show full maturity. Um, but, uh, yeah. Um, let's see what else I, I've still got to try. Um, I still can't fully get my head around the fact that white burgundy doesn't last as long as it used to, and so I do tend to, <laughs> tend to leave them around. Um, I have, I don't have a lot of 2002 left. One or two things, but not a lot. And uh, we're just getting the Perrier served now, Jasper. Yeah. I think the Lafont Perrier is a, a little bit more advanced than the Lafont Genevieve. The Lafont Genevieve is just so yes. beautiful. Yes. In, in this period um, of the early and more, more dramatic Premox, I found Perrier to be the vineyard in Merceau that was much the most affected. There's something about the extra richness in Perrier that caused it to topple over more easily than the refined Genevrier. So it doesn't surprise me that the Perrier is a little bit, seems a little bit more advanced. It should have more weight, more body, but it doesn't surprise me that it's tasting a little bit more advanced. Uh, but the Germain O2 Perrier is stunning. Great. Good. Absolutely Good. stunning. Good. So, well, you should you should spend a little longer on them, but it looks as though you've got um, two winners, one that's a bit further behind, and then a then a, a failure. So it'll be interesting to see if any of the wines develop quickly in the glass, or whether they maintain, or even become slightly fresher. In fact. Um, Obviously, the, uh, the Mario Blanc. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. More, more, more. The further along. I think the Lafon, the Lafon period is further along. The Genevieve is very fresh. And the German too is spectacular. Great. Well, that's wonderful. I'm very, really pleced for them. Um, uh, and nice people who make good wine, and I was disappointed with the uh, 2017, as you reported it. So uh, they improved their performance for the 2012, and they burst through with the 2002. That's great. So, um, and then the Genevrier should be all about precision and elegance and a lot of detail. Um, the La Forge Genevrier, and then, as you say, a bit more weight and a bit more advanced from the Perrier O2. Um, I need to leave you in just a few minutes. So before I do, while you enjoy that, and don't worry them, because I think they should express more in the glass, but I'll just mention what to expect from the four reds. Um, so you've got Patai Marseille Ancestral, which is his top cuvee of red. It gets at least 24 months um, in barrel. Um, he's developed a technique which is pretty much unique is that he likes to vinify as much as he can with whole clusters, but he does slightly crush the grapes to avoid having too much of a carbonic uh, expression. 
Um, so the whole bunches get crushed, but very, very gently, so that he's not actually crushing the, uh, the uh, stems at all. Um, and minimal sulfur, long aging, and that's a wine which normally ages incredibly well. Um, after that, we have Comte Armand, Pomar, Claude Zepno, 2010. I think it's the best vintage that Ben made. He started in 99 and finished in 2013. And personally, every bottle I've had of that 2010 has been absolutely stellar. So I think that will be gorgeous. Um, Pustor, this was in the, uh, after the time of Gerard Patel. So Patrick Londonger, uh, sort of the home vineyard, Claude Le Pustor. Um, 2002, so brings us back a parallel with the whites. Should be in a very good place to drink now. I think Bolognese were good in 2002. It's very timely. Um, if you like uh, the 1985 Pomar Rougien from Old Man de Monti, this would have been Hubert de Monti rather than Etienne making the wines of that period. He made legendary 83s, but they're probably fully ready now and probably should be drank up. But the only 85s I've ever had of his have been very good. And as it happens, there's a case coming up at auction on March the 16th of exactly that wine. It's one of those auctions you can bid for so far and nobody's bid for it. So uh, as of an hour ago. And so if you really like it, um, there are some other wines from the 80s from De Monte. And I think that was a, a very good period for the demand. So I'm going to leave you to uh, enjoy those. Um, but before I go, if you have any other thoughts about the current flight or whether there are any more questions you want to ask about Merceau and White Burgundy before I leave you. All good? <laughs> no one's asking you questions. I, 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 I've got loads of questions. Can I say, in terms of the, the Mercer, who, who, are your, who are your favorite producers and which other? You'll answer the up and coming ones, right? But who's your favorite producers? Which, uh, that's, that's not no, by no means the easiest of questions. Okay. So you've, you've got a front line which, um, you know, is recognized internationally. And I like all of those. So Custury, Rouleau, Ant, Affon would probably be the, the big, in no particular order, would probably be the top four, um, domains. But other people who I think are, very good indeed would be Balomio, um, sensibly. Bernard Bonar, who become very quickly, um, cult and, uh, and so not so sensibly priced. Um, I'm just running down an alphabetic list. Of course, you've got Henri Boyer, who's, uh, um, uh, both colors, but, um, some sensational mercos. Um, I like Michel Bouzereau, very sensibly priced. Uh, and he has some great vineyards, Perrier, Um, so they're good. Um, bum, bum, heading on down other, other favorites. I think Chevy Chouet is well worth having a look at. Um, I tasted the wines when his father was making them and he was a bit erratic, but I think the son, Romeric, uh, is, is, is really interesting. Um, I've always been fond of Jean-Philippe Fichet and the more chiseled. What's that? Yeah. <laughs> These are good. Last question because no one's asking it. I'm just curious if you were drinking a Merso, right? Yeah. If you only had one Merso to drink, what would it be? What vintage? What Merso? Um. Right. Well, it's, it's going to be one of it's going to be one of two. It's either going to be Merso. It's either going to be Merso Genevrier from Lafont. Um, okay. And. 
I've, I've celebrated many rites of passage, including proposing to my wife with the 1981 vintage of that wine. Um, but that would be pretty old now. So no specific. Maybe either we had the 2010 very recently, uh, Monday of last week, and that's in a glorious position. So I'll go with that as one choice. The other would be the Sev du Clos bottling from Arno Ond. So, however, if, if if I happen to have access to Michael's, it would obviously have to be one of his uh, many, many bottlings from uh, Mr. Costurie. But I, I'm going to go with Lafont and Arno Ond because I. Um, they're two people who I know very well and, and enormously appreciate. So, giving you a double answer. Thank you. That's great. Answer. Which, uh, I didn't finish the list of all the good people in uh, in Merseau, but there are many more. There are so many good ones. And uh, I will leave you to enjoy the rest of the meal. It's been great uh, seeing you on screen. And in just uh, a month, just over a month, maybe in that very same room. So, uh, yeah. just, just before you go, quick question. Instead yeah. of naming the producers, obviously we yeah. tried like the Premier Cruise um, yes. tonight so far. So, in terms of your just your personal opinion, regardless of the producer, in Merso, the, the sort of top villages, top three villages that you think the top three village wines. Uh, my favorite, my favorite vineyards are Narvo, Tesson, and Chevalier. Is that your question? I see. That's good. I've tried it so many times. That's, that's good. Answer. Thank okay. you. Okay. Terrific. Thank you. Great to see you. And I will see you in a month in Hong Kong. Bye. <laughs>